Got a look at your bulletin. Uh, you know that we were in for a treat this morning. Dr. Mark Williams and is here, and uh, Carol and his wife and their um, dear friends of ours and uh, really of this congregation. Um, Mark had a great message. I actually saw his manuscript and his outline was in your bulletin until about 20 minutes ago. Um, I should have just left it, see if you could figure out some way to take notes. Uh, but yesterday, and I knew Mark wasn't feeling well, um, not well at all. So when I got a call um, yesterday morning, I saw it was Mark, and I said, hey, Mark, how you doing? And he said, uh, I, uh, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about tomorrow. And he said, I know I can preach. So um, that, that's pretty close. Did that sound like him, Caroline, kind of? Yeah, she's saying yes to be polite. Um, anyway, he was in bad shape, and so no problem. He's going to be able to... Uh, talk about the trip, and uh, we're looking forward to that. I'm, I'm going to miss his uh, preaching, but I found out yesterday morning that I was going to pitch hit for my buddy. So um, w someone asked me, well, how do you figure that kind of thing out? How do you decide what you're going to preach? And, and um, so I said at first, well, no, I just go up and wing it. I just, you know, <laughs> just as the Spirit moves. And, of course, that's not what I do. I mean, I want the spirit to move, but I think he should move me before I get up here. So I prayed, and, and uh, this very familiar text came to mind. It's one I've preached before. I don't make an apology for preaching it again. I love this story. And in fact, you're going to hear it again. As long as I'm around, this is one that is so close to my heart that I, I want to share it again with you. Storms come in all kinds of sizes and shapes. I guess the worst natural storm that Dion and I were ever in was when we lived in Iowa and a tornado came through. Dion was, it was during the day, and Dion was downtown in Des Moines and in a high rise doing her job, and I was in our little home office in, in Johnston, Iowa, just north of Des Moines. Nearly 100 mile an hour winds swept through that part of the metro. And our little house moved. It shuddered. Uh, the dog and I went downstairs into the basement and prayed. And I know I prayed, and I kind of think he did too. It was very, very terrifying. We had a dozen trees that ring around in a ring in our acreage, and they were snapped off like twigs. They were mature, tall trees. So... Natural storms can be pretty serious, but I think other kinds of storms are even worse. And who can deny that there has been a storm that has blown through our church in the last couple of years? And we have eight dear ones who are in a cancer battle, and um, we feel the gale force of that wind ourselves because we love them. And we're seeing God in the middle of that storm, but it's here. Or financial storms, you've been in those. In 2008, Dion and I just about lost our house. Um, we ended up with an interest-only loan and just, I mean, we just barely hung on. Um, some people didn't hang on. There are relational storms. So you, you wonder sometimes, is my marriage going to make it? And sometimes marriages don't make it. And so what I know from Scripture is that the Lord 
controls the storm. He calms the storm, but let's face it, he also starts the storm. I wanted you to just uh, hear a little of Psalm 107. It'll remind you of more than one story in the New Testament and Old Testament. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. God did that. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men who were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Kind of reminds you of the story of Jonah, doesn't it? Uh, I know that the Lord uses storms, sometimes for judgment, sometimes for discipline. The Lord sent a storm to stop the retreat of his most reluctant prophet, Jonah. And Jonah ended up in the water and eventually swallowed by a great fish. And the Apostle Paul, on his way to Rome, was interrupted by a great storm and a shipwreck. So we're looking at a, arguably the greatest storm on the Sea of Galilee that was ever recorded. Um, and it's a, such a familiar story, but we can't ignore the truth of it. It's not about a storm. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' lordship, about how that he is Lord of all storms. And so, you know, stay close to him and he'll get you through. That seems to be an overriding message in this short story. Um, so the Sea of Galilee is an unusual freshwater lake. It's about 13 miles long and at its widest seven or eight miles wide. And the most unusual feature of the Sea of Galilee is that it is 700 feet below sea level and ringed on three sides by hills or mountains on the west and, and north the Judean hills that rise 1,500 feet above sea level, another, so that means 2,200 feet right above the water. Or um, if you go to the east, it's what we call the Golan Heights, 3,000 feet in elevation. If you go, keep going north, you run into the southern mountains of Lebanon, 10,000 feet. And this topography explains how it is that sudden storms arise so often on the Sea of Galilee because cold air starts shooting down toward the warm air uh, below through the ravines and canyons and it collides with the warm air on the Sea of Galilee, got an instant storm. And it's documented um, that people have died in these storms over the years. And waves four to five feet in height are not uncommon and much higher have been recorded. So that's what we're looking at. And I want to just go through this story again with you and kind of reflect. I have, um, you know, a good sermon ought to have probably like two or three points or four, you know. So I got six. So I think that probably means way too many, right? Um, but I'll, I'll be, I'll be uh, quick, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you believe that. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about Jesus' destination at the beginning of this whole text. Verse 22 says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now, Matthew records this in chapter 8 of his gospel. Mark has it in chapter 4. And we learn by comparing notes that Jesus is at the end of a long day of teaching and he is, of course, exhausted. So why did he set out? Well, I've got more to say about the why of it. But one thing is clear, it was not a pleasure cruise. He didn't say, boys, you know, let's, I'm tired, let's just take a little tour of the lake. Um, he said, there is a destination, we're going to go across to the other side of the lake. And please notice that he did not say, Man, put on your safety harness because it is going to get rocky out there. We may not make it, you know. Let's, let's trust the Lord together. I'm not even sure, but let's try our best. I want to go out there. See, there was no uncertainty whatever in Jesus. We're going to go across to the other side of the lake. And I wonder if you realize how secure and comforting it is to know our Lord is certain about the destination. Uh, are you going to go through storms? You probably are in some right now. But when Christ sets the destination, it is secure. Safe arrival is guaranteed. There's no doubt about it, no matter what you go through. It doesn't depend upon your skill as a sailor. It depends upon the almighty power of our Jesus. So destination is kind of important to set the stage here. And the fact that Jesus felt like um, they ought to go forward is an amazing thing. Now, you know he's exhausted. He's going to fall asleep, uh, and we're going to talk about that. But um, this is not the demeanor of a man who has any doubt, and nor should we. Well, then let me talk about his slumber. That's kind of an interesting feature of this story. So they set out, verse 22 says, And then, as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And you ought to continue in reading, and it says, They went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Who falls asleep in a storm of this magnitude? Well, one answer is somebody is really tired. Jesus was really tired. We see the evidence of his humanity, of his incarnation, just in this incident. Christ in his humanity felt fatigue and hunger and thirst, the heat of the day. Um, he, he felt the things that you and I feel. He knew the limitations of a, even a perfect human body. But I would submit to you that even a perfect human being who can get tired and feel exhausted probably would not have fallen asleep in the middle of this storm if he had any doubt at all about his destination. So there's a, a great peace in Christ at this very moment. Um, his disciples are freaked out of their mind. In fact, this is kind of an interesting contrast. You've got Jesus in complete peace and security 
absolutely asleep. It takes them to wake him in order for him to uh, rouse and make sense of what's going on. Um, and here, nature is in roiling in chaos, and for that matter, so are the disciples. They are not sleeping, not even close. And, you know, it kind of makes more um, of an impact on me when I realize that most of these guys grew up on this lake. They're, they're mostly, not all, but mostly fishermen. Have they ever been through a storm like this? Well, maybe not like this one. But they have been through many storms. They are not novices. They're not people who've never been on a boat and started throwing up the minute they got out there, you know. These are, these are experienced sailors. And so their assessment of what was happening with a lifetime of being on the water was, we are going to die. And I would trust them. And so if I'd been on the boat, I would have thought, we're going to die. Um, the way that it's recorded in Matthew, I think it's Matthew, maybe it's Mark. Yeah, no, it's Mark who, who has Jesus saying, don't you care that we're perishing? It's not just, look, we're going to die, we're going to die. It's, don't you care? Have you ever been in a storm when it felt like to you that the Lord had just walked away and taken a nap? It makes it so much worse when you think about your shepherd, your king, your lord, your master, and you conclude somehow that he is uninterested in your trials or that maybe he has just left you on your own and you're going you're gonna to end up in the drink drowning. I mean, I think that's infinitely worse. And that was their conclusion. May I tell you that in the incarnation, we have, we have a mystery that we can't solve. That in Jesus' humanity, yes, he was asleep and secure and at peace. That in itself is kind of comforting in a way. But in his deity, he never slept. I, I thought of Psalm 121. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He who keeps his people has always got them. He's always watching over them. Does he let them go through storms? Yeah. We can all testify to that. Has he let them go? Has he walked away? Has he hidden his face from their trouble? No way. The one who keeps you, the Lord Jesus who got you, is never letting go. Don't believe yourself in the dark. Don't listen to what you say to yourself in the storm. Panicky is rarely truthful. I mean, believe God's word. Come back to this story. Realize Jesus was there. The best place, you know what the crazy thing is? The best place in the middle of this storm was right there. They were the most secure people on the planet right then. Jesus has said, we're going to the other side. Nothing is going to interrupt that. We're told, the other Gospels tell us that we're, there were a number of other vessels that set out 
that evening. I don't know what happened to them. I don't think there was any guarantee they were going to make it. In fact, if you were sailing along there, and it was a sailing boat, it was a fishing boat, at least 12 guys had to be in it. They had rows, but they certainly had, um, I mean, oars, and they, they certainly had sails. Um, so if you had been trailing along, I mean, if you could just get in that boat, that would have been the best place to be. No matter how the storm felt in your boat, or maybe you saw it swamped with water, you ought to try to get in that boat. The closer you can get to Jesus, the more secure you are. All right, well, that's Jesus' slumber and what it means to us. Let me talk then about Jesus' power. And we continue in verse 24. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Mark says there was a great calm. He awoke and rebuked the wind, just like he rebuked a demon, just like he rebuked a woman's fever that was plaguing her. He spoke to the storm like it was a living thing and said, Cut it out! Stop! The way the Greek is the tense of the verb ceased makes it certain that the action of the wind and the waves immediately stopped. Now you and I know what it's like when the wind comes up suddenly and then just as suddenly it can die down, right? I mean, so that hardly seems like a miracle if you want to be a skeptic. But listen, we know that 10-foot waves are not going to immediately stop. They're going to keep sloshing, keep washing over that boat. You can tell that they're slowing down, but it's hardly comforting when you're still being uh, you know, soaked with water. That's not what happened. Immediately, when Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, calm as glass, not a movement of the water at all. That's Jesus. Um, nothing can stand in his way. Do you think it was harder for him to speak to the storm than it was to cleanse a leper or to save you? No. It's effortless. He's God. He's our Jesus. Nothing you will encounter is going to cause him to break a sweat there's nothing any storm you're in is no match for him now let's be realistic and not talk in metaphors so don't people die in the storm isn't it true that sometimes people drown yeah are people in a serious battle with illness and don't they sometimes perish yeah so the message of this story is not that bad things never are allowed to happen to quote good people although you and i know good people is not really the right right uh, description for us the message is jesus is in control of this and he'll never let anything touch you 
except by his own hand of permission. His destination is his glory and your good. And that is certain. Nothing can shake that. And so sometimes, if you want to talk specific, sometimes he heals people. And we see evidence of his healing in the cancer battles in our own church. We give him glory and praise that people are in remission and that reports are coming back with no further growth and that people are tolerating treatments that are so very difficult. Um, and sometimes we go to heaven, right? How, how terrible is that? We get to be with Jesus forever. We get to be next to him forever and ever. And that's the whole deal. And Jesus said in John 17, as he painted the picture of what was the greatest thing of all, he says, Father, this is verse 20 thing, I, it is, I, I, I desire that those whom you have given me will be with me to see my glory. The greatest thing that could ever happen to anyone is what he prayed for you and me. Could they just be with me, Father, and see my glory? And the answer is yes. So some storms may take you to the bottom and some storms may take you to the other side, but the other side ultimately is to be with Jesus. And that's where his power gets you. Because the same one who stood with the authority and power of those hands is the same one whose hands were nailed to the cross on your behalf to secure your destination, Jesus' power. Nothing is a match for our Christ. So let's talk a little bit about the challenge that he laid out right after that. So he had rebuked the wind and the raging waves. They ceased, there was a calm. And then he said to his disciples, I don't know if you feel like this is rubbing it in at all, but he said, where's your faith? Now, I jotted down um, how Matthew wrote, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? That, that's how Matthew recorded it. And Mark recorded it this way. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Is that a little harsh? I mean, they're, they, they're scared out of their minds. They, they thought they were going to die two minutes ago. Don't you think it would have been nicer if Jesus had said, all right, boys, come on up here. Let's have a group hug now. Everything's okay. Instead, he said, where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? Well, what had they seen before this? I mean, just, just tracing Luke's gospel, I jotted down some of the things that they had already witnessed, they, that Christ preached and taught to growing numbers of people, that he healed multitudes of folks of illness and cast out demons all over the place, cleansed a leper, healed a paralytic, restored a man's withered hand, healed a centurion slave at a distance without even going there, raised a widow's son from the dead. I think we looked at that story last week. So it's not like they hadn't seen Christ do things that no one could do. But, you know, I really identify with these guys. I mean, I've, been a, I've been a Christian a really long time. 
and I've seen God heal. Um, he has provided in our family in miraculous ways that are just thrilling to remember. He has guided us in unusual ways that no one would conclude, oh, well, that just was okay, happened. No coincidence. And yet, when a new storm hits, I think my first impulse is panic. I think I'm getting better, though. I don't think I'm, I don't think that lasts near as long. I then begin to veer into praise and trust. So the difference probably for the disciple is, is they witnessed a lot of stuff out there and they thought, that's awesome that he healed those people. That's awesome that he cast out those demons. That's wonderful. And now look, I'm drowning. So it, you know, it kind of becomes more personal. It's, it's all fine and dandy, this sick person over here that he heals, but if you're in the boat and the water is washing over the boat and you know you're going down, maybe that's a little different matter. And I think it is a different matter. So the storm you're in is your storm. And it is, it is panicky. And I wouldn't add, and I don't believe Jesus added any note of reproach. But I just think it is worth asking that question of ourselves. Where's our faith? Do we still doubt that he is the God who delivers and heals and guides and provides and comforts? And maybe part of the reason for my storm or yours is just so we'll see that again. That we'll be reminded. Uh, he may seem like he's asleep, but he's not. And he is so accessible and so kind and so absolutely powerful that's our Jesus that's the one we love the most and the best place is always as close as you can get in that boat to him so that's Jesus challenge now I, I want to show you another question this is what I'm calling on the outline Jesus identity so he asked them a question and uh, then they turned around and started asking asking one another a question. They said at the end of verse 25, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who is this guy? Who is he? He's a perfect man, yeah, but more than a man, he can only be almighty God in flesh. Do you see how they traded one kind of fear for another? So they were arguably as panicked as a person can get. They were believing they were going to die imminently. And so they woke him in this panic. And then he did what he did, what only he could do. He rebuked the wind and the waves. A great calm. And then Luke tells us they were afraid. This is a different kind of fear, isn't it? This, this is the kind of fear Peter had. Remember the story? They'd fished all night, no fish. Jesus finally said, boys, why don't you throw the net down over there? And they did, and the boat started to sink. There were so many fish, they had to get another boat. And it was at that point that old Peter dropped down in the middle of those flopping fish in the bottom of the boat and said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So the fear they felt now was the fear that leads to worship. It is the wonder 
of knowing he's more than a man. This is my Savior and my King, and I'm not worthy. It's the, it's the fear of being in the presence as a weak person in the strongest person there is. It's, it's the fear of being uh, a sinner with fallible tendencies that break out rather frequently. Being in the presence of the holy, holy God who has come in flesh. It's the fear of knowing that he has, he has saved me in spite of me. And loving him with the adoring look sometimes that I think that dogs have of their master, you know. I mean, it's more than that, I know, but sometimes I feel that way. Like I just, I just look up at him and, and I owe him everything. And uh, I don't deserve any of it. So that Jesus' identity, I mean, what, what were they to conclude? This is not Superman. This is not a Marvel comic character. This is our Jesus, and it turns out he's the God of the universe, the creator of all. And um, the storm is no match, nor is anything else. Well, that's basically the story, but I still have one point to kind of reflect on, and that is why, why the trip in the first place? We already see that it wasn't a pleasure cruise, you know. It wasn't uh, just let's kill some time and unwind after a long day. Um, and nor was it, we not, may not make it. it, there was obviously a purpose to it, and we're not told in the context of verses 22 to 25, but I think you just keep reading. In verse 26 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land. That's the very land he said, we're going there. There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. I submit to you that the purpose of this all was a rescue mission. Can you imagine a more miserable human being? Here's a guy under the sway of a demonic horde to the degree that his own personality is basically subsumed under the evil of that supernatural presence. He's not himself. No one would recognize him as their brother or husband or son. He lives like an animal, and people fear him, and they hate him, and they're repulsed by him, and the local people have tried to chain him up to keep him from terrorizing and, and just being a monster. And the supernatural strength of the demon, demonic is too strong busts through those chains, drives him into the desert, into the wilderness. And it was this guy that Jesus came for. There wasn't a whole, you know, cluster of people there. I, I wonder sometimes if you get it, that this man was on Jesus' heart before time began. And he knew on that night, after that long day, we're going to go get him now. 
It was a rescue mission that had a rescue mission in it. This poor fellow was redeemed. The demons were cast out. Jesus saved him, forgave him, cleaned him up. He became a new man. He wanted to be with Christ, just like that puppy dog I was telling you about. Jesus said, no, I, you know, actually, what I'd prefer you doing is go back to your people and tell them what I've done for you. So there was a multiplying effect of this rescue mission. Do you get it? Do you see that the God of creation, the second person of the Trinity, sailed across time and space and entered a fallen world under a demonic control run by despotic governments and corrupt religious systems, and he did it for you. It was your name that was on his heart from before time. That's our Jesus. Can I point out to you that it wasn't the great faith of the disciples that won the day? This is not a story that says, oh, we just need to have faith, faith. Jesus said, where's your faith? Where is it? I don't see it. So how did he get them through anyway? Well, it was in spite of their lack of faith. Your faith is not the key to everything. Your Jesus is. And once you figure that out, then your faith builds, doesn't it? How great our Christ. How we owe him everything. How he came and got us. When nobody else would have, and we didn't deserve it, was that demoning, demoniac, was he, did he deserve what he had right there? Probably. I mean, you don't get demon-possessed like that without a couple of bad choices on your own part. Did that matter to Christ? He set his affection on him, and he came and got him. I kept thinking about... Um, a stanza from a newer hymn that we sometimes sing. Um, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, maybe. One of the stanzas says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That means he's never asleep at the helm. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. And if you can't stand, get as, next, as close to him as you can and, and uh, snuggle up, friends. The safest place in the storm is right next to Jesus. And he'll get you through. Let's pray. I pray for people who are in a storm of whatever proportions. It feels bad to us no matter what it is. It's our storm. And sometimes it feels like, Lord, honestly, that you're not paying attention or that you have decided to just let us flounder on our own. Please clear away the the messages we give ourselves that are so inaccurate 
please protect us from the enemy's demeaning messages to us about the meaning of our storm. May we come to Jesus over and over. I pray for deliverance and healing. I pray that people right now in their spirits would hear the Lord Jesus say, peace and be still. May it happen in wonderful ways in our unique settings. And we trust you to get us through. Our Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.